everybody. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Madiv's Getting to Know podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Lawler, who leads our tax team here at Madiv. Kelly, thanks for taking time out of your schedule today. You're welcome, Mike. Look forward to chatting with you. Now, what does a day in the life of a tax leader in corporate America, big global company, what does that look like? It kind of ranges from working with, you know, my internal team of directors that work with the you know internal Madiv functional leads such as accounting. So you've got corporate, you've got businesses. We're intertwined with the business, and then additionally we work directly with the local governments. So we've got to be able to describe what goes on within Madiv from a you know a business perspective as well as what's going on from a financial to a tax regulatory environment. So we'll, we'll kind of cover the gamut across internal corporate business and external regulatory bodies. How many different local governments are you and your team actually working with? We sell into 90, well, probably over 100 countries, so we can receive anything from any one country. But where we have physical sites is where we predominantly spend our time. Do you have a favorite country to deal with because they're just so much fun from a tax law standpoint? Favorite country. Um, I would say that I have a lot of least favorites, but from a favorite, there's really no favorite, to be honest. Just stay off the least favorite list? They're all their different levels of pain. We'll just leave it there. Is it like one of those, is it fair to say or just overbroad and vague to say you're, you're dealing with the government? So there's always going to be some challenges times 90 different governments. Is that fair? That's right. And I would say the pre-COVID and the post-COVID world are completely different. And then the U.S. tax law code changed in 2017. And so for probably, you know, the 25 plus years of my career, it was with one set of regulations and it changed the whole code changed so dramatically. And it changed from 2017 to current more than it changed in my whole career. So the amount of, of law changes that occurred post-2017 in the U.S. is so significant that you're operating in, a, in such a different playing field and your, your revenue agents don't know the law. And so it's, it's, you spend as much time trying to educate your revenue agents as you do trying to get them to understand why you filed what you filed. What drove such dramatic change? I mean, obviously you had COVID in there, but you said 2017. So what's been going on? So this is pre-COVID. Yeah. So this one have been political. So tax laws change with political party support. And we all know the tax code change that Trump brought um, was supposed to be, you know, significantly reducing the corporate tax rate, which it did, but it brought in just an enormous amount of complexity for your global multinational company. How do you and your team go about staying on top of all that change? Is there just an ongoing education? Is there are, there, are there associations you partner with? We do. We do. We also work with putting forth our view on certain regulations that come out and providing input on position papers that go to the governments, how you keep on top of things. We operate in a few different, I'll call it lanes or worlds in any given moment. So there's the financial statement world. So we have to understand and know every all the laws to put 
tax provision numbers on any financial statement, as well as we operate in, we call it a regulatory or cash tax or tax form world at any given time. So we have to make estimated tax payments on the quarter. So each quarter you have two lanes there going, as well as watching for regulations that are coming down the pike and that can impact what your future might look like. So in forecasting earnings, it can be very difficult in, in the tax arena. For the layperson in the listening audience, Kelly, who may or may not even do their own taxes themselves, how wrong would it be to think about what you guys do as like TurboTax or H&R Block on steroids for a big, complicated organization? Well, maybe to put into perspective, depending on where you incorporate your parent organization, which ours is in the U.S., right? Depending on where you start your business from, it's whether you would be considered of one country's laws versus many countries' laws coming together. And the U.S. parented system is one of the most complex in the world, and it, it is a worldwide system. And so all of our all of our businesses in all the different countries roll up, if you will, consolidate. And so, so you could imagine, right, you're bringing in financial and tax calculations from all the countries and then imposing a U.S. view on top of that. And so I'd say steroids is probably putting it mildly. And our tax, our U.S. tax return runs anywhere between probably thousands of pages. And it takes about a four-month exercise. On a scale of, let's just say, 1 to 10, from a tax structure standpoint, 10 being super complicated and a 1 being you know, fairly straightforward, where would you say Madiv is on that spectrum? We have operated for many years pre-merger in this, we'll call it a, um, a world to maximize the use of our, our tax credits. So when you think about filing your tax return, you want to get the most use of your tax dollars paid, right? So the way we did that is we got the most benefit of the foreign taxes paid against the U.S. whole world liability. And so to do that, to achieve it, it's a complex structure in that it has, you know, a, we'll call it a legal structure within another legal structure so that you could get the maximum use of those tax credits. And so it's like running through two sets of reporting requirements, both in the financial statement, as I said, in addition to what goes through a tax tax return. And so we're probably, you know, over the 10. And we while we operate, you know, in the $3 billion space, um, I would say even pre-merger, we have been at the complexity of a 3 to $10 billion um, multinational organization from our restructure that occurred in 2013 um, when we acquired Dellstar Technologies. Is that complexity something that for a tax professional you find to be a, a, a very lucrative kind of challenge? Like it, it attracts talent in or is it more of the kind of thing that makes you want to kick your tire on the way to the car or do we live in both worlds at the same time? So I would say that it yields a significant amount of benefit and puts tax in the position of a business partner to the organization. We range anywhere from 7 to 12 million impact to earnings per share per year. 
and we offer a hybrid structure where we have tax professionals that are operating both in the financial statement as well as the governmental regulatory tax forms and in multiple jurisdictional such as international and domestic U.S. and so it makes them very valuable tax professionals but gives them a steep learning curve when they walk in the door. Yeah. Where's the perfect candidate come from? Are they coming out of the big firms in your mind or uh, are they coming from other organizations? It's a combination. It comes from corporate and firms. Kelly, what would you say a great day is like as a tax leader at a company like Madif? Nothing blowing up. Nothing, nothing blowing up. Cool. So you're playing, <laughs> you're playing some def- defense every now and then. Yeah, we pride ourselves to always be looking forward. Um, I would say generally form work to me is not where we generate the value. Form work is if something comes unexpected in that form work, that's something blowing up. When I put the numbers in the financial statement um, and it affects our earnings per share, I have to have a very strong, um, supportable, defensible position. And so when we get to forms, to me, it's more perfunctory, administrative. I should already know what I'm expecting on those forms. Got it. So did you grow up with aspirations to be a tax leader? No, no. (laughs) So I grew up with a passion for animals and I wanted to work with dogs. And uh, however, you know, I didn't care for needles and blood. So, and I had a, a knack for science and math. So, you know, I had parents who said, you know, practically you'd probably be better off in business. So I went the accounting route, uh, got bored quickly because it wasn't challenging enough for me as once I did one item one time, I didn't want to do it again. And so hence I migrated into tax. Got it. So let's go back to those early days when you first fell in love with animals. Where, where were you? Where, where are you from? Talk to me a little bit about the earliest days. So my family's from the Great Lakes State, Michigan. Okay. And I have people, family throughout Michigan, upper, lower, as well as um, in the Upper Peninsula. And there's a lot of rural land in Michigan and had, you know, the opportunity to go to family and friends who had different farms and things like that. And I would end up, you know, usually curled up with an animal outside or somewhere hidden in the home. So (laughs) what part of Michigan specifically did you grow up in? Graduated college from Walsh College. It was Troy, Michigan, about 30 miles uh, north of the city, and then migrated north and west as I um, started a family. And so I had, um, you know, children out in um, between Lansing and Ann Arbor colleges uh, is where I raised my kids for a good bit. So That's great. So how many kids are there in, in the family? Two grown adult sons. All right. Where are they these days? One is in college and one is finished and working as an electrician. Great. Is the one in college potentially pursuing a tax path? Uh, we did some we did some business courses enough to know and the volume of work they've seen their mom do, you know, really preempted their not wanting to go into business and taxes. <laughs> so I can understand that. It sounds like you guys are, are constantly grinding for sure. Mm-hmm. What's 
a great day look like with the family? Like, what? Like, go back to when the boys were younger. What did you guys do for fun? What was the family kind of hobby leaning? Uh, we played a lot of sports. So coming from Detroit, diehard fans in sports. My husband coached a lot at their teams. He was a football coach, basketball coach, baseball coach. I coached baseball, um, boys baseball. I was the catcher coach. I caught my son until he was um, headed into college. He was throwing 90 when he headed into college. And so, and I was still suiting up and catching him. That's great. That's great. You don't, you don't often see parents willing to sit behind a 90 mile an hour fastball. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. What drove you to get there? Do you have an athletic background yourself? Yeah, I played all sports through high school, some intramural college, uh, volleyball, uh, fast pitch softball, track and basketball till I, uh, people outgrew me. So any broken fingers or jammed thumbs from catching a fastball wrong lots of that yeah yeah it's always was always the fingers yes so many dislocated jammed broken fingers i learned a lot you know splints are your best friend there's no cat like i never really went for cast so and um i think i took a couple of bad hops um later towards my son going into college and and i hung up my gear and said, you know, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Good idea to go full gear though. I've taken a few in the shin, like short hop that, um, yeah, yeah. brought a tear to my eye very quickly. Yeah. My husband ended up in the hospital with, and also with a spinal surgery from one to the chest. Ooh. So he was pitching behind the L screen and the L screen didn't, didn't protect him. So like a rip in the L screen. No, it actually just shot it went right outside the L screen, right to the chest. And oh. so he was all black and, and then a spinal injury. So no good, no good. Everything's okay now. Oh yeah. That was years That's ago. Good. That's good. So now with the boys grown, what's the evolution of fun look like? What are your hobbies these days? So mainly I spend time, um, with animals. So I rescue dogs. I have five currently and one grad dog, grand dog. And I, not all of them will necessarily stay with me. Some may be adopted out. I adopted, fostered and adopted out 40 to 50 um, and 22 to 23 um, and also train a lot of dogs. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, you have a lot of property or are they run around the house or both? Um, we're on about an acre to two acres and both. Okay. That's great. Do you have a favorite kind of dog or you can't even get that far because you're you're out to save them all i would say i'm out to save them all but we predominantly spend most time on the bully breeds the pit bulls the bulldogs okay uh so most of the dogs that i save are bully breeds and they range anywhere between 40 to 100 pounds uh and i do their the training integration and decompression that's what i do at nights and on the weekends now are all five of your current rescues available to be adopted out at this point or are some hang with the Lawler family for good? Some will hang. So I have a 13-year-old Shepherd. Okay. Um, I have a four-year-old Shiba Inu, a Doge dog. So I rescued her out of a farm of Shiba Inus that were over being overpopulated. So um, I wouldn't adopt her out. And then... Um, a couple of uh, boxer mixes that probably would um, would like to stay here. Yeah, 
That's great. How do you come into contact with new candidates for rescue? The Georgia shelters are overrun with many, many dogs that need rescuing today. This post-COVID world is like a pandemic for the animal shelters. And that's how I ended up in it because so many dogs somehow in my social media feed I saw were being put down. And uh, so right now I'm in, I had met a lot of people who were really strong social media people when I was helping with dog rescues. And so we're doing a shelter project now where we're partnering directly with the shelters and increasing their social media and the knowledge of the shelters so that people are aware of the risk to these dogs. That's great. Good for you. What What's driving this change? Was it everyone went and got a puppy during COVID? A lot of that. A lot of back, backyard breeders. No spay and neuter laws. There's just a, a whole host of issues. Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand to help solve a lot of these issues, what would it be? It would be mandatory spay and, and neuter laws. Gotcha. So you wouldn't be able to go get a dog without, you know, spaying or neutering them unless you had a licensed, you were a licensed breeder. Gotcha. And then there'd be probably fines or penalties for those who were, um, who didn't spay and neuter. So Kelly, as you introduce new dogs to the rest of the crew, is the introduction always easy or are there personality conflicts? The introduction is called decompression and the best route of integration is walking a dog. So walking dogs are like training, it's like training in a bottle um, and you use a certain correction collar so that you have control of the dog and you do not introduce dogs face to face or nose to nose. They are introduced on walks with handlers that are in control and are viewed as alpha to the dog. So if a dog runs over you and is controlling you, he's going to try and defend you or protect you and go at any dog in the pack. Um, if you are not alpha to that dog. And so part of my training is not training the dogs, training the people. That's great. Kelly, it wasn't uh, anything I anticipated to go this deep into um, dogs and dog rescue on the Getting to Know podcast, but I think it's a really cool cause. Is there is there a site or any information that you would point our audience to if they wanted to learn more? Yeah, so with uh, the shelter network that I'm creating, there will be a site that I can point to that's probably going up in the next month, two months. Um, I've been actually brainstorming this project for six months. And, uh, but the amount of rescue sites on social media, Facebook, Instagram, they're, they're everywhere. And then in addition, the shelters have pretty good sites. Lifeline, Fulton and DeKalb out of Georgia specifically have some good sites, but the, but the problem really becomes the smaller rescues outside of the city because they don't have that same type of social media. And so, you know, that's where the Facebook and the Instagram comes in. So that's great. That's great. Do your boys have the same giant heart for dogs and dog rescue as you do? They've developed it over time. Yeah. So nature, nurture, some combination. There was an early stage where like, why are you doing this, mom? You're already working you know, X number of hours. And you, and, and I, you know, I said, you know, when you, when there's a calling on your life or there's a passion on your heart, you have to just, you have to seek it. And so the one way I was able to seek the passion was to give up 
TV and social media other than posting dogs. So a year to two years ago, I gave up all entertainment. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So very interesting. So Kelly, um, and for the listening audience, we, we have not spent a whole lot of time together. The one thing that I most certainly knew about Kelly coming in is she brings a ton of passion to what it is that she does professionally. It seems like based on, you know, what you're telling us about dog rescue and unwillingness to sacrifice additional time doing things like silly entertainment and so forth. You bring that level of passion to probably everything you do. Fair to say? Yes. With my faith in the center. So faith is what brought me probably to the dogs because it's in prayer that that came to me. I was going to do this more when I retire and um, just in prayer it was, um, you know, what are you going to do with what I gave you? And I had to own up and face that. That's great. That's good. Good for you. Have you always gone at things? What I suspect is just pretty hard. Like you don't, you probably don't do a whole lot, a little bit, do you? No, I am um, the youngest of five. Okay. And so I had to compete. um, And my father was an entrepreneurial spirit, a blue collar worker out of an automotive state. And he um, started multiple businesses in my lifetime and as the youngest, not only had to fight with what you got, uh, you had to, um, you know, you had to be able to be strong in that type of um, environment, in, in that state, in that type of fabric of people, very hardworking individuals. And, um, and you know, just um, I would say my, um, my mom's family immigrated from Poland and my dad's was Native American and um, of descent and French. And we just, um, you know, it's just very hardy people who work really hard morning till night. Good for you. That's great. Kelly, at the end of every getting to know podcast, we ask our, our guests three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those with perhaps some follow-ups to each. I, I, I anticipate. So the first of those is what can always be found in your refrigerator? I drink uh, Life Boost coffee. Coffee. Mm-hmm. Like grounds or beans or pre-made? Low, low acidity and uh, low. Um, I, I can get jittery pretty fast. I'm already very high strong when I get out of bed here. <laughs> Are there any dog treat-like uh, materials that you'll find in your refrigerator? That's yes, I, I feed our dogs a variety of things. They get some, um, they get a lot of natural foods, um, sensitive stomach foods because my Sheba got into things early in her, um, life and got a stomach ulcer. So I give sensitive stomach, um, food to the dog. So there's a little dry outside of it, but in the refrigerator, there's some sensitive stomach, uh, soft food as well as uh, fresh pet. I am actually entertaining going fully raw for the dogs which would mean um, turkey legs, chicken legs that are frozen or fresh, but I haven't invested in that freezer to house that much for five dogs. And I haven't done the math yet on this expense. I was going to say, this is not an inexpensive <laughs> pastime you have, which makes, yes. makes it that much uh, sweeter. I, I, I love it. So Kelly, I may have already answered this question in my own head, but I'm going to hit you with it anyway. Amongst those who know you well, what would you say you're most famous for? My work ethic. 
all thing all things that you do you go hard i want to, so it's it's all about the results right so the the company i can have the best tax professionals but if they aren't delivering results for the organization what good are they so i don't think about you know making the regulatory bodies happy i think about being able to defend the position being able to predict and accrue appropriately if there's any risk to the financial statements for taxes and also to you know result in the most efficient answer for the company that's defensible and if i can get a non-tax person through that and understand that we we did everything possible to get the most efficient answer with the the right amount of cost benefit analysis that's that's what we focus on that's great not a bad thing to be famous for last question for you kelly uh as we embark upon late spring early summer in the greater atlanta area what would you say you're most looking forward to right now i'd say that um being outside more i'm a mountain trail kind of person i'm I'm not as much inspired by the heat and, and beaches, but I do like being outside in the fresh air. And, um, you know, I like the, the pretty green um, state of Georgia and flowers. So it's very, very pleasing. Plus the, the pollen lets up a little bit. And so being outside is a little bit easier. So it's just a matter of weathering the heat and what time you take the dogs out. For sure. It's great. Well, Kelly, thanks for taking time out of your very busy, both personal and professional schedules to spend time with us today on the Getting to Know podcast. Thank you. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of this uh, MADIV post-merger team. We're excited to have you. And for those of you in the listening audience, thanks for taking your time. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Kelly, our tax structure, our tax leadership, and a very, very cool passion project that she has. So thanks again for your time. And we'll talk to you again in two more weeks. 